You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. As you're taking your seats, I want to invite you to open up your Bible the Bible that you brought with you, the Bible that's there in the pew if you need one, or if you're techie, you open the YouVersion Bible app, follow the instructions on the screen, tap Grace Lutheran, and you'll go to our Bible passage this morning, which is from the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And as you're finding the Gospel of Luke, our journey through the season of Advent to the coming of Christmas, of Jesus born anew in our lives and in this world has only just begun. Last Sunday, some of you maybe weren't able to be with us. Our chosen guide for this annual pilgrimage was revealed, and it is none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. As I highlighted last week, save for this time of year, Mary is often forgotten in many Protestant branches of the Christian faith. You won't hear about her in many sermons outside of December. Her name doesn't come up in all in the weekly Bible studies except around Christmas time. And to just further emphasize this sort of disappearance of Mary back in the day, and this is no longer the the vogue thing, back in the day when churches were named after biblical figures, you know, like uh, there were lots of St. Andrews, St. Luke's, or St. Mark's, you'd be hard-pressed to find a St. Mary's outside of a local Catholic church, of course. And this is both, to me, ironic and strange, given that biblically, we know more about Mary than most of these apostles or gospel writers that we're naming our churches after. We know more about Mary than we knew about Andrew or Luke or Mark, for example. Mary's presence in the story of salvation, save around the 25th of December, tends to remain hidden. And when and if we do talk about her, we just tend to reserve her, her name or her person to words like virgin or mother or vessel. And what you find is, as is often the case for women, we focus only on her body her gender, and her child. And yet, despite how we treat her, Mary is not some incidental figure in the gospel. She is the mother of the Son of God. Long before our spirits were filled and enlivened by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, the Spirit of the Lord came upon the person of Mary, and through her DNA, her particular and imperfect personhood, enfleshed the Word of God. Mary's agency in the story of salvation as the birth mother of Jesus is more than some obligation by where her body is stripped of any choice. Because as we talked about last week, before she was the mother of our Lord, Mary was the first disciple of Christ. When the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her that she's to conceive a child, Mary receives the faith the Lord has in her. Mary embraces the faith the Lord gives her as her own when she responds, let it be. Through her willingness to embrace Jesus as her son and as her Lord, Mary is the first to say yes to Jesus and to follow him. That's what we talked about last week. So what comes next? What happens next? What, after God puts his faith in us, gives us the faith we need, after we say yes to Jesus, what comes next? 
Let's read what comes next for Mary in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, it might have surprised some of you that I stopped reading where I did. Because if you still have your Bible open, this episode between Mary and Elizabeth, her cousin, sometimes called the visitation, actually extends for another 11 verses. You can see that. And actually, typically, most people jump to that scene, those next 11 verses in this part of the story. They jump to what's called Mary's Song. It's also known as the Magnificat. And that's something that we're going to explore next Sunday. We'll take a look at that next week. But before we get there, I think there's much for us to appreciate and learn from Mary and what she does here. After God puts his faith in Mary, after God gives Mary the faith that she needs, after she says yes to Jesus, what comes next for Mary? The first thing that we see that comes next for Mary is Mary goes. Mary goes. Luke tells us Mary's response to the word of God from the angel is to go. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Mary leaves her home in Nazareth and heads to the house of her cousin Elizabeth. This is no minor detail. And this was not an easy journey. While the specific town in Judea is not named, the distance from Nazareth to Judea is about 70 miles. Most people believe the town itself was a place called Encarim, roughly about five miles west of Jerusalem. This, the point is this was no morning or afternoon hike. Mary's journey, presumably alone, took her about three or four days. And at this part of the story, there's lots of speculation as to why Mary left so abruptly. Luke tells us that Mary hurried to a town. Why did Mary leave so abruptly? The speculation is, some speculate she was getting out of town to avoid the scandal that would arise from her sudden pregnancy out of wedlock. Confused and uncertain about what to do next, Mary runs away to her cousin Elizabeth in order to verify what the angel Gabriel told her. If Elizabeth is in fact pregnant, then she's really pregnant too. If the Lord can take an elderly woman who previously was unable to conceive and bless her with a child, then perhaps Mary's own pregnancy is really a blessing from God. That's the, the theory, the speculation. But I want to suggest to you that such speculation is highly unlikely for two reasons. First, why would Mary need to leave town immediately? She wouldn't even be showing signs of her newly announced pregnancy yet. Also, Mary wasn't going to be gone at Elizabeth's indefinitely, you know? She couldn't stay away from home forever. Eventually, Mary would come back and there would be no hiding her being with child. 
Second, I want to suggest to you that Mary, I don't think, is going to verify the truth about her circumstances by witnessing Elizabeth's miraculous pregnancy. Because again, remember what we just saw last week, just a little bit further back in chapter one. Mary has already committed herself to the Lord's plans for her. Any doubts or confusion she had, we wrestled with those last week. She wrestled with those. And Mary put them behind her when she said, let it be to me according to your will. There's no indication whatsoever in the story that Mary is wavering in her faith and therefore runs to Elizabeth for a vote of confidence. No, what I want to suggest to you is, is that it is out of her conviction, out of the faith that God has in her, out of the faith that the Lord has put in her, out of her yes to the Lord that Mary decides to get up and go. She didn't just leave without telling anyone. As a teenage girl, and again, not to shock you, as a teenage girl, probably between the ages of somewhere between 12 and 13, as a teenage girl who's betrothed to be married, the rules of her engagement were clear. During a betrothal, a bride-to-be remained at home under her parents' supervision until the completion of the marriage ceremony. This was to ensure her protection. Her protection from temptation, the protection of her reputation, and to ensure her husband did his part to provide for her before they were married. So in other words, for Mary to leave, she had to tell her family. She had to speak to her betrothed, her future husband, Joseph. It's highly unlikely she would have just left and waited to tell them about the angel's visit and her soon-to-be pregnancy apart from her husband. I mean, think about this. If she waited to tell them until she got back, they would already be able to see for themselves what she was about to tell them. In addition, having not told them before she left and being away from them, out of sight for a couple of months and then coming back pregnant saying, oh, the Lord did this to me before I left, would only further complicate their understanding and acceptance of her news. No, the scandal began before Mary stepped out the door to visit Elizabeth. Mary had to stand up to her parents, probably her in-laws. Mary had to stand up to Joseph and boldly tell them the news. An angel of the Lord came to me. The Holy, of, Holy Spirit has come upon me and I'm going to be pregnant and give birth to a son. He's not your son, Joseph. He's the son of God. The Messiah, the one we've been waiting for. How did they all react to this? We don't know about her parents' reaction or her in-laws' reaction, but from Matthew's gospel, we know after Mary shared her news, Joseph was reeling from the conversation. And Joseph, in reeling from the conversation, Matthew's gospel tells us, is weighing his options, Right? And at first, remember this, for, for Matthew, for as Matthew tells it, for Joseph, it's not a choice between divorce or no divorce. When Joseph is weighing his options at first, it's a choice between divorce Mary publicly or divorce Mary privately. Initially, it's apparent Joseph doesn't believe his bride-to-be. And this goes on for some time. It isn't until Joseph has a divine encounter of his own via a dream that he changes his position. And Matthew then tells us explicitly, Joseph took Mary home as his wife. And no doubt that happened after Mary got back from being with her cousin. 
Mary's yes leads her to stand up and tell the truth about the news she has been given and then go. Can we just stop for a moment and imagine what that road trip must have been like? What that road trip must have been like for a single woman, a teenager, who just learned not only that she's expecting, but that she's expected to be the mother of the Messiah. No one believes her. No one. Her husband, her husband thinks she cheated on him. She walks alone without any company save the faith that she's been given and the one who gave it to her. Mary says yes to Jesus and then she goes. And then when she arrives, she reaches the home of her cousin Elizabeth and her husband Zachariah. Luke tells us simply, she greeted Elizabeth. And this is very, could easily bypass this. Three words, she greeted Elizabeth. But I want to stop here and I want you to be clear about something. This, these three words, this idea, this greeting was different than the way in which we greet. When Mary and Elizabeth come together, what happens here is more than a few, hey, how you doing? Hey, high five, simple handshake, a long you know, hug. Back then, a greeting between two people, especially family, was a much more elaborate experience. It included bowing down. It included a long embrace and included also a shared monologue of each other's welfare. In other words, each person gave a detailed account of life's happening. They exchanged what's going on. If you want a great snapshot of this kind of greeting that I'm talking about, you can go back to Exodus chapter 18 and read about when Moses was reunited with his father-in-law Jethro. And it paints a little bit more of a picture of what this would have been like. So here it is. The youthful Mary, in deference to her seasoned cousin Elizabeth, bows, embraces her, and speaks first. And Mary's greeting, as you've caught up on now, is far more than the news of her pregnancy. She tells Elizabeth everything. Mary shares the good news of the word of God, the glad tidings of the angel and the coming of the long-promised Messiah. Mary goes and Mary tells. In other words, Mary becomes the first evangelist of the gospel. Mary becomes the first evangelist of the gospel. And if you think I'm maybe stretching things, if you still think this greeting is incidental, if you have any doubts that the gospel was indeed shared in this moment, pay close attention to what happens next. The baby nestling in Elizabeth's womb leaps, not just kicks or tugs, but does a full-on Michael Jackson dance move. <laughs> Who, you know? The Greek word that's actually used here is the baby did a leap for joy in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth herself realizes this sudden movement by the baby is no mere coincidence. She immediately recognizes this is a moment from the Lord. This is one of those intersections we talk about between heaven and earth. And just as an aside, just to, to kind of consider what's happening here, you may not remember this, but when the angel first visits Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, right, and tells Zechariah the priest about his wife's pregnancy and that how they were going to name their son John, one of the things the angel says to Zechariah about Elizabeth's pregnancy, do you remember this, is that their child, their son John, is going to be filled with the Spirit even in his mother's womb. 
And now here, in his sixth month of development, we see that moment come. Six months inside of her. He's just developed fingerprints and footprints. His eyelids are beginning to part and his eyes are starting to open. Many of his vital organs are already functioning while others are still being fine-tuned. And John, the one day to be Baptist, is filled with the Holy Spirit and becomes a prophet before he is yet born. John gives his first prophecy to his mom about the life being carried by her cousin, Mary. This life that she's carrying, that think about this, this life that Mary's carrying, that at this point is only three or four days, maybe a week in her womb. Here at this moment, we see not only Mary and Elizabeth coming together, but Jesus and John the Baptist meeting for the first time with a leap of praise. With a leap of praise, John tells his mother, much like he will proclaim to others later, this is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world. And through the prompting of her son John, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she rejoices, for she has heard the gospel. She has heard the gospel. The word of God has begun to, has begun to come, become flesh for Elizabeth. Luke specifically tells us this happens because of Mary's voice, her speaking up. Listen, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth says, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Mary goes and Mary tells. She shares the good news and Mary is the first evangelist of the gospel. As she announces Christmas is coming to Elizabeth, Mary is the first human being to break the silence of several centuries going all the way back to Malachi. It's been 400 years since the last word from the Lord has been shared. And now, Mary, 400 years later, declares the coming of the Savior of the world, the long-awaited Messiah, the Son she is blessed to bear, who will be called Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Mary acts out her yes to the Lord by getting up and going, by telling sharing the good news about Jesus, and finally, by showing the truth, the hope, and the love of the gospel to Elizabeth. Yeah, and we've talked about why did Mary go. You go back and read it, the angel didn't tell her to go. The angel didn't command her to go. Mary doesn't hustle and make this journey all the way to see her cousin Elizabeth because she's commanded to. Mary hastens to go to Elizabeth to minister to Elizabeth. Out of the favor she has received herself from God, out of the grace she has been given, Mary goes to serve her cousin. Mary chooses to make this journey that is out of her way, that is not the most convenient for her, in order to come to Elizabeth and show her the truth of the gospel by serving her. Luke tells us that Elizabeth is in her last trimester, and Mary comes to visit her, aging but very pregnant cousin to navigate through those last three months. In this moment, what we see is Mary, just like Jesus, the son of man who came not to be served but to serve, Mary comes not to be praised but to hold up and support Elizabeth as she delivers her son John. 
Mary fulfills, shows us what the gospel looks like. Just as her son, Jesus, will later teach others, will teach us. Mary does unto others. Mary goes the extra mile. Mary loves another person as she loves herself. Many people skip by these verses. They jump right to the song, and the song is great. Wait till next week. It's great. But these verses, as simple as they may be, are beautiful. In these verses, in this joyful meeting, as the older woman, pregnant at last after hope had almost died, is cared for by the virgin teenager, pregnant sooner than she expected, we see a plain but no less profound demonstration of how sharing the gospel leads to living the gospel. Sharing the gospel leads to living the gospel. We are blessed to be a blessing for others. Mary is blessed to be a blessing to Elizabeth. And Elizabeth, you'll catch this, in response to Mary, shows us how when we follow Jesus in this way, when we seek not to be served but to serve, we are also blessed. Mary takes the initiative here with Elizabeth, but she does not leave empty-handed, right? As good as Mary gave to Elizabeth for three months, she receives from Elizabeth. She is accepted by Elizabeth. She's encouraged by Elizabeth. She's supported by her cousin. She is not alone. Again, I, I, you know, I, I sat the whole time writing this sermon. Am I making a mountain out of a molehill? I, I don't think I am. I really don't. Because what I see in this intimate little encounter is long before her son will give his first disciples the great commission. I see his mother. I see Mary modeling what that command, what that calling looks like in our everyday lives. As Mary goes, as Mary tells, and as Mary shows. That's the great commission. Go, tell, and show. Go. Go. Two letters, the simplest of words, but man, is there a lot with this word go. Standing still is not an option when it comes to being in relationship with Jesus. Do you hear me, church? Jesus says go. From the moment our relationship begins at baptism, Jesus tells us if we believe in him, if we look to him for truth, for life and salvation, then we must follow him. Following implies movement. You can't follow Jesus if you're just standing still. Jesus puts faith in us, gives us the faith we need so we will get up and go. Where are you going? Where are you going? If you say, I'm not going anywhere. I like where I am. I choose not to be moved. Then I say to you, you may believe in Jesus, but you aren't following Jesus. Jesus comes to move us forward, to change us first from the inside, from who we were apart from God to who we were created to be in him. And at the same time, Jesus calls us outward, to go outward by his grace through his spirit to transform the world around us. 
Where are we going? Is it just a church? Is this the extent of our get up and go? Making it here on Sunday and occupying a pew? Is this what we thought it meant to say yes to Jesus? Man, I got up, and it's a Sunday. That's a big deal, okay? I got up, I cleaned up, and I dragged myself to church, and I sat through a long sermon, sang a couple of songs, had a donut and visited with people I kind of don't know. Man, that's my get up and go for Christ. Seriously. Is this what we thought Jesus meant when he said, go? Saying yes to Jesus has to mean more than this, right? To say yes implies engagement, doing something, following through more than just with your attendance at church. Saying yes implies this idea of working with, working for Jesus with your life. Imagine, imagine saying yes to a proposal of marriage. I do at the altar on your wedding day and then disappearing after the ceremony. <laughs> never crossing the threshold, never moving in with your spouse, living a separate life while still wearing a ring. Any reasonable person would ask, why are you doing this? You said yes. You said I do. You're not really married. Your yes was meaningless. Imagine saying yes to a job offer. Imagine saying yes to a job offer, agreeing to the terms of a position, filling out and signing the paperwork, and then just sitting at your desk. Never actually engaging anyone or anything. Just counting the hours until quitting time, day after day, but still expecting a paycheck anticipating putting that company on your resume. Any reasonable person would say, you never belong to that organization. You may have a cubicle, but you didn't demonstrate any commitment to the job. Your yes really turned out to be a no. Your yes really turned out to be a no. How can our yes for Jesus be any less than for a marriage? or for a job? Where is your yes to Jesus taking you? Where are you going with Christ? If you say, I don't know, I don't know where I'm going, then again, I say to you, you may believe in Jesus, but you aren't following Jesus because Jesus never leaves us lost or without direction. Jesus tells us to go, and then he tells us to tell. There's his direction, go and tell. Mary got up and went to share the good news about Jesus with Elizabeth. And like Mary, we are called to go and tell too, to share the gospel with others. And when I say share the gospel, when I say share the good news about Christ with others, I don't mean some generic, impersonal telling of the gospel. When I say to tell, to share the good news about Jesus Christ, I am not saying to send a religious Christmas card. I am not saying to wear an outfit that says, Jesus is the reason for the season. I am not saying to correct that person at the register in the store who greets you with happy holidays by very slowly and intently saying, no, Merry Christmas. Trust me when I tell you, as great as all those things are, the comp great company of witnesses, the angels in heaven, are not rejoicing 
Because of what you wear, because of the card you sent, or because you told some cashier that it's not happy holidays, it's Merry Christmas. Telling the good news, sharing the gospel is more than just shoving a bunch of theological ideas about Jesus down someone's throat. Sharing the gospel, telling someone the good news about Jesus is more than some elaborate moral code or laws from Jesus that we knock people over the head with. Sharing the gospel, we've spent the last 11 months on this. I pray that somehow this broke in. Sharing the gospel means telling the story. We spent 11 months, almost a year, telling the story. Sharing the gospel is telling the story. The captivating, once upon a time account of the wonder and power of God in bringing us back home. Enfolding the story of each one of us, of our lives into his, into his plans for saving and transforming the world. Are you telling, sharing that story? Do you personally know that story? Are you experiencing that story? Because what we have to tell, what we have to share has to come out of our relationship with Jesus. What we must share is not just from Bible knowledge. Many of you have Bible knowledge. Good for you. And I'm not making light of that. But here's the thing. There are lots of people out there, atheists, who have Bible knowledge. If you've never had this encounter, it's a waking up moment. When you encounter someone who doesn't know Jesus, but knows their Bible better than you do. Knowing the story is the right place to start. Please understand this. But it is never where we finish. In order to truly share Christ, to have something to tell, we must be able to put into words how the story intersects and directs our story. When Mary shares with Elizabeth, think about this. She tells what the Lord has done for her. What the Lord purposes to do in and through her. Telling others about Jesus has to come out of our relationship with Jesus, who we know Jesus to be, how we have experienced Christ, what Jesus has done for us, and how Jesus continues to inform, shape, and direct our lives. Who is Jesus to me? I could say he's my Lord and Savior, but he literally saved my life. And I, I'm not going to tell you my whole story right now. But a kid who didn't know who he was, a kid who didn't know where he was going, stands before you as a man who is confident because of who he is in Christ. Because of a God who reached down and encountered me and grabbed me in the midst of all the different identities, all the different purposes I tried to stick on myself and said, this is who you are. And that journey wasn't instantaneous. I came to know Christ, but it was many, many years later before Jesus said, no, no, your identity in me is to be a pastor. And I laughed. God laughed harder. And here I stand. Who do I know Jesus to be? How have I seen Jesus work in my life? I've got two kids that are becoming adults. 18, 19 years, 20 years went lie like this. They are healthy, they are mentally stable, they love the Lord. I can tell you right now that I had very little to do with that. I know that God worked through me, but sometimes I look at them, and then I look at myself, and I go, man, people who want me, that's a miracle right there. <laughs> miracle. 
And if you're a young parent right now and you're holding your little child in your arms, you're picking them up and at times you're like, man, I am just horrible at this. I, I, I should put money aside not for college but for therapy right now. <laughs> it's gonna be okay. If you're in Christ, it's gonna be okay because Jesus has got this because Jesus has got you. My kids are grown. They're becoming adults. You know what that means? Pretty much what I've spent the last 20 years of my life occupying my time with is now moving away. And my wife and I are looking at each other and going, well, what do we do now? And you know who has that answer for me? Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling me, teaching me, even as my children, I marvel, and I'm, as, I, I'm, as I'm sharing with you now, they're not yours. They're mine. You're going to continue to love them, model for them, be there for them, but they're not yours. They're mine. I've got other work for you to do. Your identity is not based upon your kids. Remember, your identity is based in me. Can you articulate, have you ever put it into words? The story in your story, how God is at work in your life, who Jesus is to you, how you have experienced Christ and how Christ is continuing to work to inform, to shape and direct your life. Because you see, the thing is, we share, we tell what we're passionate about, what energizes us, don't we? I mean, if, if you have news that excites you, you don't sit on it and say nothing, right? That is like never happens. If, if you've learned something, if you've experienced something that's moved you, shaped you, changed you, you don't keep that news to yourself, do you? You tell someone. In fact, you don't just tell someone, you tell everyone who will listen. Is that where we are in our relationship with Christ? Are we excited? Are we passionate? Are we energized? Are we motivated to share who Jesus is right here, right now in our lives? I can't help but notice in the story, I don't know if you catch this, it gets me every time. John is a six-month-old fetus, and he leaps for joy before he even leaves the womb just because of the presence of Jesus in his life. When is the last time you leaped for joy for Jesus? And I'm not just talking physically. Some of you, I'm an introvert, I don't do that. Inside. <laughs> the thing about John is, you remember, is John, this is John, this is a six-month-old fetus, but when we know, we get this picture, when John actually comes into the world, what's the thing we see about John? He can't stop talking about Jesus. Anticipating him, pointing to him, telling others, follow him. When's the last time you leaped you danced, you got excited about Jesus. Not the idea of Jesus, but the person, the risen, living person of Jesus in your life. Does the gospel, the good news about Christ excite you? Does the presence of the living and risen Jesus working in your life get you off your feet, leaping at the opportunity to tell others? Because my friends, who doesn't need to hear who doesn't deep down want to hear that there is a God? A God who knows them. A God who loves them so much he came down to be with them, for them in Jesus Christ. A God who seeks to set them free, to cover their mistakes, to take even the most selfish, willful, and hurtful things they've ever done and forgive them. Who doesn't want who doesn't need to hear that? Who doesn't want, who doesn't need to hear that God in Christ comes to show them who they truly are? 
their best self. And this same God looks to guide them, empower them to become that person, their best self in him forever, beyond even death into eternity. And who doesn't want, who deep down doesn't need to hear that in doing this, this God in Christ purposes to give their life purpose and meaning to change the world through them to make this world a new, everlasting, and better place for everyone. My friends, we are just bombarded. We live in a world littered with bad news, fake news now. Some of us don't even pay attention to the news anymore. And we've got good news to share. The greatest story ever told. Are we telling anyone? Are you telling anyone? All of this, our salvation, this freedom, this fulfillment that I spoke of, are not for us to receive and say, thank you very much, and then put away for later when we need it. What God has revealed to us, this freedom, this fulfillment, this salvation, what God has revealed to us is for us to share with others because they need it. They need it. And like Mary, we share the good news about Jesus with others when we show it. When we show it, Mary goes, Mary tells, Mary shows Elizabeth the gospel by being present for her, by coming alongside her and taking care of Elizabeth in her pregnancy. And that means that showing the good news about Jesus means serving the needs of the other person for the sake of Christ. Showing the good news about Jesus involves more than dropping a couple of well-chosen Bible verses into a conversation. Showing the good news about Jesus is more than just inviting a person to church or to a Bible study. Showing the good news about Jesus is even more than offering to pray for another person when they're hurting or in need. To show and tell the truth and love of the gospel, we've got to get closer than that. Like Mary, we've got to make the journey. We've got to spend the time and the effort entering into another person's life, into their home, and meeting them where they are. Knowing Jesus, experiencing him, letting the authority and power of his truth and love reign in and over our lives, it motivates us, it leads us, it empowers us to go beyond ourselves and to truly get to know the people around us. Have you really gotten to know the people that God has put around you? I know you know their names. I know you know their address. I know you know what they do for a living. You probably know if they have kids and how many. You know where they went to school. But do you know them? Not the biographical details that are going to fill up an obituary. Do you know them? the people that God has placed around you because that is what God has put his faith in you to do. That is why God gives you the faith you need to know the people he has put around you so that you can go, you can tell, and you can share Christ with them. And as you truly get to know the other person, led by this faith that God has in you, this faith that God gives you, the Holy Spirit will guide you in perceiving the specific and unique places in that person's life where you can show them the love and truth of the gospel. Have you let the Spirit lead you to listen, to pay attention, to learn about the people around you? This Christmas, try this out. 
Try this out. Instead of, instead of buying another gift for someone that you know they really don't need, stop. Stop. Listen. And pay attention to how you might serve them. Talk to them. Talk to them. Find out what's really going on in their lives right now. Push past the superficial, right? Find out what's really going on in their lives right now. Pray and be open to the Lord leading you to how you can serve them. And make that your gift. You're going to shock somebody, right? Because they're going to be like, I'm sorry, the ritual here is I've got a wrapped package for you. We exchange gifts. And you're going to go, no, no, I would just like to come alongside and serve you. And in the awkwardness of that moment, maybe the surprise, maybe even the joy of that, of someone who is going beyond the, the wrapping paper, someone who's going to enter into their life and serve them, and they ask why, there's your moment. In the midst of serving, there you can share Jesus. Share the Jesus who serves you. And because he serves you, you serve others for him. That's where you can share how Jesus informs your life. This isn't the time to throw Bible verses. This isn't the time to start doing, you know, artificial evangelism. This is the time for you to start to share about who Jesus is to you. And because of who Jesus is to you and who this person is to you, that's where those two things come together. And then leave it at that. Let Jesus take it from there. You might be shocked and surprised to see what God can do. Now, I know some of you, maybe you are this person. Some of you are like, yeah. Um, I, it's not a question of not needing anything. Uh, I've got people in my life who are all good. And like I said, that might be you. We love this, right? How you doing? I'm good. I'm all good. Everything's great. I'm all good. I, I don't need anything. If that's you, by the way, if you're all good, you don't need anything, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be here. If you're all good, you don't need anything. You don't need Jesus, right? If you got it all covered, we're all not good. We're all needing something. And what we all need is Jesus. And it doesn't matter if, well, I gave my life to Christ. You are a work in progress. So am I. We are not done until Jesus comes back or takes us home in glory. You are not good. I don't need anything. You need Jesus. So, but let's forget about you. Let's say you've got that person in your life who that's what they say to you. You know what? Ah, you know, I don't need you to serve me. I'm, I'm not, they don't let you in, right? They're not going to open up because they're good. Try this. Instead of giving them a wrap gift, you might be really slick, right? This is like the thing to do. I'm not going to give a wrap gift. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give them the gift of a sheep. I'm going to give a contribution to charity in their name. And that way I rise above all this Christmas stuff. That's awesome. I'm really not trying to make fun of this. But if you really think about that, to the person who doesn't know the Lord, the person who's all good, when you give them a sheep or some contribution to a charity in their name that they know nothing about, that really doesn't do much for them, does it? They're kind of like, oh, thanks. Great. They have no context for this. And if you really think about it, and I'm really not trying to be controversial here, if you really think about it, you're giving a gift to yourself, right? You're making yourself feel good. I didn't buy a gift. I didn't do that commercial thing. I gave a sheep. I gave a contribution to a charity for them. No, you didn't do it for them. You did it for you. So try this. Person who's all good, not letting you in, Right? Find out what that person cares about. Not what you care about. What does that person care about? What moves them 
to make this world a more just and beautiful place. Again, you're going to have to talk to them. You're going to have to get to know them. But find that out and then make a contribution to that. And when you share that gift for them, when they're surprised, it'd be great if like, you know nothing about it or care nothing about it. When you make that contribution, like, what the heck? You're not even, this isn't even your thing. There's your moment to say, you know what? It wasn't, but it is now. You know why? Because making the world a more just and beautiful place is what the Jesus I follow is all about. And you may not know my Jesus, but I want you to know you're, you know him more than you think you do because if you care about this, that's what he cares about. And you could get, get, get to know him better if you want. <laughs> How might that change? How might that change? I don't know. These are just ideas. I mean, again, you could go just wrap a package, do the gift exchange, whatever. But God has put his faith in us. God has given us the faith we need so that we would go, so that we would tell, so that we would show the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives. In this interaction between Mary, Elizabeth, John, and Jesus, we witness more than a simple greeting. We see a reflection of our calling as disciples of Jesus to share the gospel by living the gospel. Celebrating Christmas is about show and tell. It's not about sending a card. It's not about the annual Christmas letter. It's not about sending a package gift from mall, the mall or amazon.com. Christmas is about getting up and going, embodying our faith like Mary and boldly and proclaiming and sharing the good news about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he came to do, and his desire to be born in every human heart. Celebrating Christmas isn't just about telling people Jesus is the reason for the season. It's about showing others Jesus by listening to them, getting to know them, caring and serving them as a reflection of the gospel. As Mary was blessed to bear Jesus Christ in her body, she was blessed to bear him by sharing him with others and serving others out of Christ's love for them. Like Mary, we have that same opportunity to bear Christ to others, to be a blessing to others. Christmas is coming. It's time to go, to tell, and to show. Amen.